So good evening and welcome all and a special welcome to our guest today, Hindal Sen Gupta, who is, as you all know, is a journalist, writer and entrepreneur. He lives in Delhi and is currently editor at large at Fortune India. In 2015, his seminal book on India's underbelly of entrepreneurship, Recasting India, was shortlisted for one of the world's most renowned prizes in economic writing, the Hayek Book Prize given by the Manhattan Institute. He became the youngest writer ever at 34 to be nominated for the Hayek Prize and the first ever from India. Sen Gupta graduated with a master's degree in mass communication from the Jamia Millia Islamia University in Delhi. He holds a first class Bachelor of Honours degree in journalism from Delhi University, where he was ranked first in journalism at his college, the Delhi College of Arts and Commerce. Hindal was born in Jamshedpur and grew up in Kolkata where he studied science at the Assembly of God Church School and founded the school's first Shakespearean Dramatic Society. He was selected by one of the country's oldest newspapers, The Statesman, as a student columnist while still in high school and was the first student of AG Church to achieve this. So with this a short but uh, stunning uh, list of achievements, Hindal, welcome to this uh, Q&A session courtesy uh, the Advait Academy. And we are here to talk about uh, your latest book, which happens to be your sixth book, Being Hindu, Old Faith, New World, and You, which is somewhat of a change from your previous five books. And let me begin with the first question as to who is the intended audience of your book, Hindal? Is it the Hindu, the NRI, the Hindu atheist, the foreigner, the budding scholar, the foreign correspondent who never stirs out of Delhi? The child who's learning about Hinduism at school, who is in your mind the intended audience of your book when you set about writing it? Well, thanks very much, Abhinav. It's, uh, it's really interesting to hear about uh, the Shakespearean society has started in school after so many years today in this Zoom session with Advaita Academy. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, to answer your question, Essentially, I wrote a book because I really felt as I looked around you, around me in India, that while we keep saying, we keep quoting the statistic that 80% of this country is Hindu, actually, in reality, very few people know anything about Hinduism. So what we are having is an extremely polemical conversation, but we are essentially two sides screaming at each other often, and none of the sides know much about Hinduism. One classic example, which I mentioned again and again in my book, is Swami Vivekananda, one of the tallest figures in contemporary Hinduism, one of the last great seers of Hinduism. And yet for all the talk about him, apart from a few quotations that have become posters and, and literally cliches, very little is understood or known about what Swami Vivekananda, for instance, really stood for and said in his life. So I wrote this book called Being Hindu, and especially if you look at the subtitle, which you mentioned, Old Faith, New World, and You, the critical part there is you, all of us, essentially. What does this faith really mean to us? Because for 5,000 years, we keep talking about our civilizational values, but in reality, in 2050, very few of us really understand what those civilizational values really stand for. Excellent. I think, uh, uh, which sort of, uh, you know, the, what you answered about the fact that so many, so few people know about Hinduism in India, I think uh, leads me to my next question, which is that in many ways, uh, you would agree that your book has a topicality given the recent spate of controversies over so-called incidents of intolerance and the 
sort of accompanying media manufactured hysteria that we have been witnessing for the past several months. Do you think your book could help address some of the questions that have arisen consequently in the media and in, in general? Absolutely. I would certainly hope so. Let me address a couple of key factoids and news points here first. Number one, let's take the intolerance debate. I have been saying again and again, I'm all for people. Number one, I condemn every act of violence. That's number one. Number two, I absolutely admire and respect anybody wanting to protest any act of violence, no matter who commits it and who it is committed upon. Number three, if we really want justice for violence being committed, we should therefore ask, for instance, let's take the Dadri case, for all, I respect people wanting to uh, you know, return awards and wanting to protest against violence. They are perfectly justified in wanting to do so. But what bemuses me is that so few people who were protesting actually even demanded a, an FIR on you know, people who actually committed that violence. In fact, at the moment, we are seeing this extremely curious thing where even the victim family is saying they don't actually want to pursue the case anymore. So in this hilarious incident and, and almost you know, a farcical incident, a man is dead and nobody seems to actually want justice. Everybody seems to just want to posture. That I, I, I object to and I think is very silly. If we truly want justice, then we must ensure that uh, we, we will have a system where, um, where you know, we actually ensure justice for those who have been killed. And, and if we don't ensure that, then there is a problem. The other thing that I, I, I'm really sort of um, irritated about in a sense is that we really have to get a sense in our country of where we really stand on many critical issues. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, misunderstandings about what Hinduism stands for um, um, because the very few people know anything about Hinduism. Very few people know anything uh, about the traditions of Hinduism. For instance, we are talking, we are doing this webinar on a day when the RSS, for instance, has said even in Arunachal Pradesh, if somebody eats beef, and this was tweeted out from the RSS official uh, Twitter ID, even if somebody eats beef, the idea that they cannot be a larger part of the, of the nationalist goals of this nation and be a true nationalist is not true. So, I mean, you know, we are, we are almost talking at cross purposes continuously. I think many clarifications are required. Uh, a lot more knowledge is required. The problem is in the entire discourse about Hinduism, there are two illiterate sides screaming at each other. The problem is when we grew up, we know very little about ancient India. We know very little about our traditions, our, our culture. We are not taught any of these things. And because we're not taught any of these things, we, we have a very flawed understanding of where we stand. I, I would completely agree with you. It, you know, it's like two sides. They are shouting at each other rather than talking uh, with each other. And that uh, is unfortunately the level of discourse. In some ways, I, I, I wanted to ask you where in your very first chapter, how to write about Hindus, you, you actually talk about, you, you dwell on this topic of uh, what is the kind of uh, writing that has emerged that has been uh, more or less the de facto uh, from the West uh, in talking about, about India and specifically about Hinduism, where you say that it, it's in my mind, I found it a brilliant uh, and biting take on as well as takedown of the, you know, of the typical writing that, that we see that abounds in the West, 
on Hinduism, which is, you know, obsessed with the Kama Sutra, the Linga, Ganesha's trunk, and much more and much worse. So my question is, and I have two questions here. The first one is that, is this writing the result of simple ignorance? Or is this something that is more deep rooted, a sort of uh, call it Orientalism and racism at its worst? And the second question is, and I think more importantly, why do you think this goes unchallenged and unaddressed by American academia and media from which this emerges in the first place? So, I mean, it's a, it's a long answer because the, uh, the, the reasons for this are very complicated. Let's take them one by one very quickly. Number one, this uh, Freudian analysis of viewing faith and traditions of faith through a Freudian prism is not applicable today in any faith largely around the world, apart from Hinduism. Hinduism is the last bastion where this sort of Freudian analysis of faith and tradition is actually being passed off as scholarship. No other faith, whether it's Islam or Christianity or Judaism, actually does this anymore. Remember, Freud actually wrote a book uh, targeting Judaism at one point in his late career, using Freudian analysis to look at Judaism, but those texts and that text is entirely discredited. It is only Hinduism, which does not have at the moment the intellectual you know, prowess in some senses to fight back against this sort of Freudian analysis. And of course, a lot of this Freudian analysis is plain mischievous, maybe sometimes even malicious. Now, having said that, the other point is your, to come to your point about why is there, you know, why aren't more people talking about it? Look, I have often said that one of the big problems is we've had an extreme left of left uh, heavy handedness throughout our academia. That sort of strain in our academia in India, the, the white man's burden in a, in a sense, if you, would, uh, if you will, essentially means that we have always been taught from our childhood to look at all Hindu traditions with a, you know, with a wary eye. Either we think of them as something primitive, as something you know, old, um, exploitative, dirty even. We are essentially very uncomfortable with the Hindu part of our heritage. And that's because we know, we know and understand so little about it. I'll give you an example. Very few people, I mean, millions of Hindus say the Gayatri Mantra every day. But very few people actually realize that it's one of the most sublime, and I mentioned this in my book, it's one of the most sublime prayers in the world because the Gayatri Mantra, what is it asking for? It's not asking for blessings. It's not asking for material uh, you know, benefits from God. It's not asking for you know, protection from God. It is asking for intelligence through which to look at the world. What a sublime message that is. But you tell me when you grew up or when we grew up in school and college in India, who teaches us all of this? Nobody does. And I'm not saying don't question uh, Hindu tradition. Of course, you should. I, for instance, deeply question caste. And I've said again and again in many, many um, you know, uh, interviews and meetings that I've done that I, in fact, reject. I never took the sacred thread ever. And uh, because I reject any sort of uh, label that comes only via birth, I believe anything that can come to me only via birth is inherently discriminatory. So I believe that we should question tradition. But having said that, we don't know anything or we don't know most things about our tradition as far as Hinduism is concerned, or most people don't. And therefore, there's a lot of, you know, misunderstanding, uh, which leaves scope for this sort of Freudian analysis to continue, which I think sometimes is, as I said, mischievous, if not malicious. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you talked about uh, uh, caste, I was reminded of this, uh, you know, of, uh, of what you have written with respect to caste uh, that not in terms of reformers, not just Vivekananda, if you, you take even Mahatma Gandhi, who had this to say yeah. in a letter to Dr. Ambedkar, you know, who, uh, yeah. who was another of the great reformers of Hinduism, that caste has, and I quote, caste has nothing to do with religion. It is a custom whose origin I do not know and do not need to know for the satisfaction of my spiritual hunger. But I do know that it is harmful both to spiritual and national growth. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Look, the point is this, the greatest, and I say this again and again, look at the foundational hymn, if you will, of Hinduism, the Nasadiya Sukta. What is the Nasadiya Sukta saying? It's saying you should question even the existence of God. One of the great benefits of Hinduism, which most religions don't have, um, and Buddh Buddhism is the other religion that has it, is that it constantly urges you to question. It is when Hinduism becomes codified and, and, and rigid, that's when all the exploitation begins. But if we go back to the roots of the faith and we understand the roots of the faith, it urges us to question. And if you question, what is Gandhiji saying? Even if something, explain, uh, even if something exploitative is written in a text, reject that text. You have the freedom. We have the freedom in Hinduism to reject texts which we feel are incompatible to our modern times, to our lives, which we feel are, are exploitative. There is no, nothing binds us to a text. But my only argument is in order to accept or reject a text, we must first analyze, read and understand the text. Because if we just try to, you know, reject or critically analyze something that we don't even understand, then that's not very beneficial. I want to make a very strong point here. If you'll allow me just a moment. Look, it's always said in, you know, in, in my in, in our country and in my experience, I've always said uh, and I've always seen that people who reject caste always define themselves either as atheists or as Marxists or as communists. I want to make this distinction. I am a proud practicing Hindu. I am not only a proud Hindu, I'm also a practicing Hindu. And it is because I'm a proud and practicing Hindu that I denounce and reject the exploitative parts of caste. I believe like Gandhiji believed that he believed in secularism and pluralism because he was a true Hindu. I believe that my rejection of caste comes from the fact that I of my learning of my understanding of my own faith. It is because I genuinely have tried to understand the Vedanta. I have tried to understand the foundational texts of Hinduism that I have the intellectual ability to reject the exploitative parts of caste. I am not a Marxist. I'm not a communist. I'm not an atheist. I'm a proud and practicing Hindu. And as a proud and practicing Hindu, I entirely reject the exploitative parts of caste. I reject my caste identity, so to speak. But that does not in any shape or form take away from the fact that I'm a proud and practicing Hindu. I couldn't be happier, Hindal. You know, uh, the fact that it is possible to separate one's identity as a Hindu from the association that people automatically make with caste. And this is one of the things that not only Mahatma Gandhi, but if we go back uh, about half a, a half a century or more before that, we, we come to uh, perhaps the, you know, one of the greatest reformers that Hinduism has seen, at least in the last uh, half a millennium or more, Swami Vivekananda, who said as part of his effort to reform Hinduism that uh, being a Hindu and uh, 
and and you quote from his uh, you know uh, vivekananda who said that uh, hinduism or being hindu could not be about discussing for years whether we should drink a glass of water with the right hand or the left whether the hand should be washed three times or four times whether we should gargle five or six times and this is from this is the state that hinduism found itself from which swami vivekananda was able to pull it out and into modernity but i wanted to touch upon or or you know move our conversation to a, a slightly related to a related but a slightly different topic which is when you talk about reform then apart from vivekananda and other reformers in hindu you take the example of dara shukho who in mm. 56 got together scholars from hinduism and islam at kashi and this is something that not many of us know about and if you he was dara shukho as we know was one of the sons of the fifth mughal emperor shah jahan and he gathered at kashi a vast troop of bilingual scholars you write to try and find harmony between the holy quran and the upanishads and this is an idea that uh, would probably sound as radical today as it was uh, when it was first attempted then and uh so i want to wanted to ask and have you share with our viewers today how what dara shukur did then was different from what akbar had tried three generations earlier was dara's effort a continuation of akbar's efforts and the second question in this area is is slightly more provocative as an exercise in conjecture could you share your perspective on what if as in what if dara had become the mughal emperor inst- instead of aurangzeb let me just go back in time since you mentioned dara shikoh couple of things but before that let me just say i am i am delighted and i support the move to remove aurangzeb's name from a road in central delhi it has been named after apj abdul kalam now which is a good thing i would ideally have named it under the name of dara shikoh it is to the entire tragedy of india that we prefer to remember aurangzeb and try to defend him who i don't think deserves to be defended at all but we have maliciously forgotten darashiko now remember darashiko is a very interesting example here is a mogal prince who's trying to bring together these two great traditions islam and hinduism and what does he get for it let us not forget what he gets for it this is a man who's finally of course captured by his brother and essentially murdered but there is a nuance here why is he and how is he murdered he's murdered because it's not easy for one mogal prince prince to instantly kill another especially since it's the same bloodline and they are brothers right but you know darashiko is murdered under the pretext of having been an infidel or an apostate or a heretic by taking the help of extreme hardliners in among the mullahs so to speak to prove that he is a apostate and a heretic and that's how he can be murdered this is the story of this is the tragic story of darashiko a man who tried to bring about real synthesis between islam and hinduism and is finally proved an infidel and a heretic and murdered i believe that's a turning point in the history of islam and hinduism in this country had darashiko been you know if if he had become emperor instead of aurangzeb 
the history of India would have been different. It is indeed true that many of the experiments that Akbar tried, Darashiko was the, in some senses, the proper inheritor of those experiments. And I believe that had he become emperor, a true synthesis of some kinds, which began in, in, in some parts of Mughal history in India, would actually go to their proper fruition and a proper synthesis would have happened between Islam and Hinduism. Let me go further, since you're asking a, you know, a question of history that can, of course, neither be proved or disproved. Let me go further. I believe if Dara Shiko actually would have become emperor instead of Aurangzeb, if he would have Mughal, if he would have inherited the Mughal throne, there would have been no blood-soaked partition of the subcontinent many hundreds of years later. Darashiko failing to be emperor finally resulted in a domino effect to the point where, in the name of faith, the subcontinent was divided. I don't think it would have happened. We would have brought together a synthesis that even Gandhiji wanted so desperately. And it's a, it's a tragedy for India that this didn't happen. And to go to your other question, look, the point about India is, and, and this is something that we need to remember, the point about India is that we have very selectively picked up, because of our distorted academia, selectively picked up figures to either deify or to you know, relegate into the dustbin of history, so to speak. And it's because we have used such poisonous prisms often in this, in this you know, sort of process that we have come to this sort of polemical point that we are at today. We don't have to have this sort of illiterate polemical debate. We need to be taught better about our traditions. We need to um, you know, re realize who our real heroes are and we can move away from this polemical debate. That's the big message of my book. Fascinating that you know you consider Dara Shikho as as more of the true inheritor of uh, Akbar's legacy that uh, Akbar had begun. And uh, while you say that yes, you know things can neither be proven or disproven, but it is still a fascinating conjecture that what if Dara Shikho had become the emperor? Would we have had or not had the partition, which was in in uh, in, in every sense of the word a tragic event? And you, you write about the fact that, uh, and, and, you've, and you have spoken about the fact that we are not, uh, uh, our history has been so distorted by the left of the left historians in this country. And I will quote from your book where you write that uh, it would be useful, of course, if we accept the facts to start with. There is little doubt that Hindu civilization went through hundreds of years of repeated invasion barbaric assault, mass destruction of Hindu religious places, end quote. So who, okay, so who should accept these facts, Hindal? It is not as if these facts are hidden. They have been in the public domain for as long as the events themselves that they talk about. And yet we find that self-styled intellectuals in this country are not only in denial about these facts, but they are quick to condemn anyone raising these facts as fascist, intolerant, communal, and worse. So, we, so my question is that, how do you go about getting people to accept these facts? And what next? Well, you know, simple, a simple thing is, a simple thing is we need to openly talk about these things much more. Please understand, only a couple of days ago, the first ever launch of Being Hindu, which happened in Dehradun, was with a Howard-trained Muslim lawyer 
where we actually had a wonderful and who told me how much she loved the book because we were having an open proper conversation instead of the cute polemical conversation that we have and she told me how you know for instance this idea of shrines in islam right it's not in any other part of the world apart from our part of the world right arabia suddenly doesn't have this idea of shrines the dargahs so this muslim uh, lawyer who was launching my book in dehradun told me that in for instance in her home state of kerala her one of her ancestors was a sufi saint so there's a shrine a dargah mazar to one of her ancestors right and and we were had we had a extremely open conversation look we can have an open conversation when we accept a few things and accept in academia in public discourse and not shy away from it yes we had centuries of invasions but equally we have to accept the contributions of people like darashiko later on people like wajid ali shah tell me today kathak what is kathak without the contribution of lucknow right i mean what is kathak without the contribution with without the without this synthesis this coming together of cultures so we have to take things the good things so what they are and also face up to the bad things that they are i mean are we going to are we going to not accept the great contributions in music and culture of islam to this country and and uh, you know and and deny all of that but just because we want to sort of you know have this strange political correct or polemical conversation or on the flip side are we not going to say aurangzeb is a tyrant just because we want to have this politically correct conversation so i am saying let's accept that aurangzeb was a tyrant but let's also accept that darashiko gave up his life to try and bring together the synthesis of islam and hinduism let's accept that many people believe that tipu sultan was a tyrant but let's also accept that there would be no kathak without the synthesis of two cultures hinduism and islam let's accept what the country really has to offer us and let's not be trapped in polemics or political correctness absolutely couldn't agree more uh, but then again uh, you know it, to use a cliched phrase you, you know you're probably preaching to the choir but uh, uh, so uh, what after this book hindol it is probably too early yet given that uh, you you know the book launches <laughs> book has just come out yeah it's just been early a week or so <laughs> the book has come out but uh, so far is there any topic you cover because yeah. writing this book would have taken uh, you know you know a, a long time several yeah. months so yeah is there any topic that you have found uh, so far that you have covered in this book but you but that which you would want to maybe do a follow up or talk about more or write or do something more detailed on Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm trying to work on now. I, I'm trying to explore this idea of modernism in the Hindu tradition, because I fundamentally believe that. Look, I mean, in my book, for instance, since you've read it, there was a journalist in India who defined this phrase called the Internet Hindu as a derogatory <laughs> phrase, right? Yes, of course. I don't want to go into. I don't want to go into details of that, but I reinvent the phrase in my book. I have a chapter called the yes. Internet Hindu, right? and there i explain in great detail using example after example of technology and science why the hindu tradition is actually best fit for our internet age for our digital age why the internet hindu is in some senses the future because it's a tradition it's a faith which does not hold you which does not restrict you at all 
Look, there is a reason why at CERN, one of the great nuclear laboratories in the world, in Europe, there is actually a huge statue of the dancing Shiva, the Nataraj. Because yes. in quantum physics, CERN, they believe that the Nataraj exemplifies the principles of quantum physics the best, right? And therefore, I argue powerfully in my chapter on the Internet Hindu that far from being a derogatory phrase, actually the Internet Hindu is a philosophy that perfectly suits or Hinduism is a philosophy that perfectly suits our Internet age. So that's detailed in this book. Now I'm moving forward from that in my next book and trying to explore this, why Hinduism is an eminently modern faith, why our philosophies are essentially always and always have been modern. Of course, they had many problems. Sometimes they were you know, codified and made rigid and all sorts of other issues, exploitation. But if you go back to the basic principles, if you go back to the real principles, we are essentially one of the most modern traditions in the world. So I'm exploring this interaction between Hinduism and modernism uh, in my future work. Oh, fascinating. I think that's something for all of us to look forward to, even as we uh, you know, read your, your uh, latest book, Being Hindu. Uh, you talk about uh, you know Hinduism as as you know eminently suited to the modern age, and you quote extensively from uh, Vivekananda and 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 you know great historians like R. C. Majumdar. But uh, do you have any suggestions? Well, you know, my I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but my book. I mean, as somebody pointed out, my book quotes many many more Nobel laureates in science and mathematics than it does quote-unquote babas or sadhus, you know. Oh, I wrote a book called Being Hindu, but it quotes, because, because I wanted to get away from this trap of regressiveness and this label, and I show in my book that actually it's far easier to depict Hindu traditions via Nobel laureates and what they found in Hinduism than just mere quote-unquote religion. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, you... I would uh, suggest that you know people read the book uh, to to see for themselves uh, the you know the amalgamation of uh, modern science uh, with the with the oldest religion in the world. I wanted to ask you you know is uh, do you have any suggested reading for people who want to seek and explore more about Hinduism after reading your book or are there or if there are facets yeah. of Hinduism that they want to explore? Yeah. Do you do you want to suggest you know given that you uh, read so much uh, as part of your preparation for writing uh, you know, your book. Do you have any suggested readings for people? Yeah. So two things I want to recommend very strongly. One, read the nine volumes of the writings of Vivekananda. Nine volumes. Please go read Vivekananda. There are nine volumes of it. I'm not saying you have to read every every word of those nine volumes, but go and read him as much as you can. That's number one. Number two, everybody talks about the Bhagavad Gita, but let me give you another sort of suggested reading. Please read something called the Ashtavakra Gita, oh, yes. which is really, in some senses, the ultimate medicine. Because, you know, the Bhagavad Gita still is kind. You know, it tries to break the truth softly and gently to you. The Ashtavakra Gita is, is like a hammer. It falls on all your deceptions and all our insecurities like a hammer. It breaks all of that in one go. Please, if you have the courage, go and face up to the Ashtavakra Gita. It'll make you a different individual. That's my suggestion. So these are my two suggestions. Read Vivekananda, read the Ashtavakra Gita. 
Absolutely perfect. So for people uh, who are wondering about it, the Ashtavakta Gita is in some versions a part of the Mahabharata itself. And uh, you, uh, the, the Chinmay Mission Press has an edition of the Ashtavakta Gita, if you're so interested. It's a small book, I think, if, uh, while, while imbibing it might well take a lifetime, but you can certainly read it over a leisurely weekend. And uh, with this, we come to the end of uh, the Q&A session that, uh, that, the, that uh, we had planned. Uh, what I wanted to do before I open this up uh, for Q&A to people, if they want to send in their questions, either through chat or if they have any questions, they can uh, unmute their mics and ask. And obviously, uh, you know, Twitter and social media remains, uh, uh, you know, always open as a medium for people to engage and interact with you as uh, People will know that uh, you, Hindal, are on Twitter with your handle being Hindal Sengupta. And uh, a review of your book, Being Hindu, has now also come out on indiafacts.org. So I would encourage people to take a look at it and decide for, uh, on their own, uh, you know, uh, make up their minds about the book and then go ahead and read it. So I will now open this up for Q&A. If people have questions, uh, you can unmute your mic and ask those questions to Hindal. If you want to send them via chat, you can do so. We will keep the line open for a few more minutes. Hi, this is Shanti. Hello, Hi. Shanti. Hi. So um, it was great listening to you. And, and uh, Michael, I have uh, some... Uh, small comment to make so many sure. of late have said that you know serious studies in sanskrit and hinduism are coming from west you know especially us and rightfully so um, but there are serious scholars in india in the six systems of philosophy and you know who yeah. can really guide us in this discourse yeah. Yeah. but lack of english english knowledge seems to be a big barrier in this communication uh, you know do you think, do you agree? I, and uh, if so, you know, what do you think needs to be done to bridge this gap? Because there is so much in vernacular, so much written in vernacular that people don't even know, you know, we only know about what is translated and, uh, you know, people who know Sanskrit do know the originals, but there is so much written in other vernaculars of India, serious scholarship that can really guide us. I mean, you know, what can be done in this age, you know, English is such a, it sometimes becomes a barrier in communication, lack of English knowledge. So what is your take on See, that? Since you, uh, you know, we were discussing the Mahabharat before this, let me give you an example. In the battle of Mahabharat, finally, even the warriors had to ask for specific weapons from the gods to fight the battle, right? You will agree that yeah. even to kill certain people, specific, specific <laughs> weapons had to be asked from from the gods including shiva without using those specific weapons the battle could not be won you would agree yeah ghatokach was killed by one specific weapon right 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 yeah think of english like that i am not saying that there isn't enough scholarship there's enormous scholarship in india but we have to distill all of that i'll give you one example one man i read in the last 4 5 years while writing this book was a man called mm gopinath kaviraj Right. The great Sanskritist. Right. Who knows about who reads his work these days? Why? Because not look, I mean, the scholarship exists, but it has to be brought into the modern idiom, the modern discourse. And there we can learn from what is happening in Islam. 
after 9-11, there was a concentrated effort by scholars around the world in Islam to simplify and give Islam a modern idiom and present its quote-unquote good virtues around the world and successfully and successfully a lot of that has been done now we should learn from that and say look at the end of the day it's not about the language English is just a tool you have a huge young population you need a modern idiom to translate to explain many of those concepts and theories to look, there are more people who are going to go and pick up my book because it's written more simply, young people, than who would go and dig up Jonathan Guneri and M.M. Gopinath Kaviraj. This does not mean I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm an insect compared to M.M. Gopinath Kaviraj. And, you know, so I'm not even an insect, maybe. I'm a, I'm a grain of dust at his feet. But that's not the point. I'm saying there has to be interlocutors, there has to be interfaces who will take all this knowledge and give some of the starting points, you know, and access points. So the access point has to be provided. The moment we get trapped into this English versus not English debate, I just think it's futile. At the end of the day, English is a global language. What are you going to do about it? You know, I mean, no matter how much we like or dislike it, at the end of the day, that's the language most people use. So we have to take that weapon and fight it to our advantage. Now, do you think enough is happening in, in taking... Of course, enough is not happening, madam. Of yeah. course, enough is, if enough was happening, would we, would we even be, I mean, would you even be listening to me? You wouldn't care, right? I mean, because enough is not happening, then there's a role for people like me. Of course, enough is not happening. Much more needs to happen. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Shanti. Thank you. That was a wonderful question. And, uh, and, and thanks, uh, uh, Hindor. I think uh, we now know at least, uh, you know, some more people to, to read up on in the, in the vernaculars if, uh, you know, if we can. Uh, any other questions, uh, people? There are a couple of uh, questions I saw on chat or something, but I, I am, I'm on an iPad, so I couldn't really open them. But if you, if, if you can see them, maybe you could so read them out to me. Sure. I will read out one, uh, which is uh, from yeah. a Global Gypsy. And uh, he asks, yeah. Hindal push for a TV show where he invites one scholar from Hinduism and another from another non-Dharmic religion and discuss about the ways to soften the polarization and misunderstanding between faiths among the Indian population. A TV episode today has a far wider reach than taking the message and truth about the past through classes and textbooks. Well, I completely agree. But uh, I mean, I, I hope somebody listening to this would sponsor such a TV show. You know, <laughs> if somebody is willing to sponsor it, we should do it. Look, I'm already trying to do my bit. There is a reason why I chose to have my first ever launch as a Hindu Muslim dialogue of a book called Being Hindu. Look, there is no point. Please understand my point of view. There is no point that in us just talking to each other, right? It's speaking to the converted. We have to go out there and speak to other faiths. We have to go out there and speak to other people who don't agree. Our real victory is only when people who don't agree with us at least are willing to listen to us. Absolutely. Just by talking to each other, we are an echoing chamber. Absolutely. So sir. I really believe if more interfaith dialogue or, you know, inter points of view dialogue, so to speak, can happen, it's a very good thing. So if anybody listening to this is willing to sort of put together a platform, I am delighted to sit together and have conversations with people from other faiths, people, you know, um, people who don't agree with our point of view uh, and, and have a conversation with them. Well, I certainly hope that, uh, uh, you know, even if uh, people are not... Uh on this uh, on this uh, live session if uh, 
once we post it out on the net, uh, people you know watch this. And in 2016, we'll all look forward to a TV show with Hindal uh, posting it. Uh, I had a, a one person on chat with the handle HCC yeah. asking, sir, can I ask? And yeah. Yes, of course. Please, uh, please go ahead and ask a question. You will un need to unmute your line, but uh, uh, you can go ahead and ask a question. Okay, anyone else? If not, uh, uh, his question is posted on the chat actually. Uh, Would you like to read it out? Oh, it says, but uh, sir, I read the book and it's amazing, but you hmm. did not touch elaborately on the caste system based on birth, which is flawed and not the real caste system. It's only negativity against our religion. What is your solution to end today's wrong caste system? That was his question. Oh, okay, okay, it came in. A oh, very simple solution. I mean, I elaborate and I said this in the, in the in the conversation today also, and I've said it on other platforms also. Look, you can call it. I mean, there are a lot of these debates. Oh, but actually, caste was this. Actually, caste was that. Oh, but the varna. Oh, but this and that. All that is fine. I accept all those nuances. At the end of the day, millions of people in this country today feel that they have been wronged and exploited by a caste. I, from my understanding and from my, uh, you know, reading and from my intellectual sort of abilities, I believe anything that comes to us purely on the basis of birth is not something that I accept. So I'm a very proud Hindu, but I don't accept this kind of discrimination and therefore I don't care about caste. It's okay. People might want to keep their caste, but I don't care to know. I don't mention my caste anywhere. I don't, I don't claim any special privileges, but because of that caste. And I certainly don't care about what other people's castes are. These things don't matter to me. I reject all these things. So that's my point of view. I'm not saying you have to do what I do, but I can only tell you what I do. Excellent. I would only add to this is that uh, in the Mahabharata, it is a Yudhishthir in response to a question says, the question is what determines caste and Yudhishthir's answer is it is conduct alone that determines caste. So, you know, in, in whatever form or manner caste is seen sure. today, it was certainly not sure. based on birth. Sure, fair enough. Uh, one more question from HPPCC, and I'm uh, okay. This is a provocative one. I'll uh, read it out. It says so something about Rajiv Malhotra. Yes, so really, I'm. <laughs> so I'll read it out. In any case, Hindal, uh, you know, I'll uh, uh, I'll leave it to you to to answer, defer or not. It says, <laughs> Sorry. Do you, do you agree with Rajiv Malhotra's views that there is a targeted uh, silent war against Hindu systems through Western scholars and Indologists? You did touch upon this uh, in somewhat, yeah. no, not directly in one of your earlier responses. But yeah, so I mean, I, and I think that the same gentleman is objecting to you saying, why is it, uh, it's, why is it provocative and so on and so forth, right? It's a different uh, person, but uh, uh, nonetheless. Okay. Why is it provocative? Look, the point is this. Now we can keep discussing till the cows come home, literally the cows come home, uh, whether, whether, you know, there is a silent attack, a vocal attack, left attack, communist attack, whatever attack. The point is there is a problem. And I would go back and say the problem is we ourselves don't know enough about our own faith. Okay. Now, sure, there might be an attack. There might not be an attack. There are institutional biases. All of that exists. Now, I mean, we all know that there is a problem, right? I mean, wh what's the point of discussing this problem again and again? Let's find a solution. 
let's read up more let's understand more i just saw a comment that amish is pointing out in the gita the you know the the nuances of varna and the system in caste and so on and so forth i mean you know my friend amish and sanjeev sanyal who's another person i who's writing i really enjoy i mean people like amish and sanjeev sanyal and vamsi juluri they're doing wonderful work and and you know and somebody like me draws inspiration from all of them right and from whatever it's worth i'm making a humble contribution myself there should be why only four of us there should be 4000 of us 5000 of us let us all understand read write more engage more i think constantly saying that oh look i mean there's an institutional bias yes all of that exists we all know that we know there's a problem we know there is an attack we know all of that i mean you know look i, I mean i'm 35 i am interested in solutions right i mean you can keep telling me about problems all your life and i know the problems exist let's try and find solutions guys i mean that's my only you know sort of you know humble request excellent uh, hindol i think uh, we are uh, all on on the track to finding solutions and i think your book is one uh, you know contribution towards that effect in reclaiming the space uh, on hindus and writing about hindus that has been appropriated uh, for one reason or the other by you know by the west and i think to that end in itself that book uh, is is a valuable contribution uh i, I mean you know to look i mean here's I, here's my point with all the angst my book is now going to be published in america right i mean next year my book has been bought in america it's going to be published in america i mean hopefully i will have, would have made that tiny contribution to the conversation right and i'm not saying it's a big deal or anything but the point is we all have to try and make look at the end of the day if there is negativity let's try and counter it with positivity let's try and counter it with facts let's try and counter it with real arguments because beyond that i mean angsting about it is useful but beyond that angsting about i mean beyond a particular point angsting doesn't help let's try and find uh, let's try to put our own points of views um and let's let's you know let's do something about it perfect so on that uh, positive uh, hopeful note i will bring today's session to uh, an an end first of all somebody has just said sir i gifted your sir i gifted your books to five of my friends i just want to publicly say thank you very much you're very kind i'm very grateful for your help i'm sure you are hindol and again uh, i'll say you know first of all thank you for uh, doing this uh, session this is wonderful we will be uh, posting this up may, may i just uh, come in please it available yes please go on chitra here i just Hi Chitra. I am uh, in the process of reading your book. So sure. in the prologue, I ran into something which I thought I should uh, mention to you. Yeah. So you say one would think that a faith that accepted all religions and expressions of faith as yeah. equally valid thousand seven hundred years ago. Yeah. Would be the most studied and treasured in a world of sectarian religious strife. Yes. But what do you mean by thousand seven hundred years? I mean why thousand seven hundred? look i mean th- th- this this question of dates right i mean we can like there are there are multiple that's not just one source right 1700 is one source of one dates on you know some of the texts go back to or some people believe that some of the texts go back to i have a larger point fine whether it's 1700 years whether it's x number of years whether it's 2000 years 5000 years whatever the number of years is the point is it's undeniable that the pluralism and the questioning attitude of hinduism is extremely old and because it's extremely old and has survived so many onslaughts for so many years 
at the end of the day, one would think today at a time of extreme religious strife around the world, that this sort of questioning accommodative attitude would be treasured. If not, I mean, let's even take away the word treasured. At least more and more people would try and understand it, read it, you know, analyze it uh, and see what it stands for. And I don't think enough of that is happening. That's my larger point. So whether it's 1700... I completely get and I completely agree with. I mean, there is no contest to it at all. I just wanted yeah. to know if you meant 1700 years before Christ or just 1700 years from now. No, no, no. Before Christ. Before Christ. You know, that is missing in that. So fair enough. I mean, so, I will go and check. I mean, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but like I said, I mean, that number is... Yeah, so, I mean, you know, so, and it entirely depends on which text, right? So, I mean, you can pick up what uh, one text and say, okay, well, uh, you know, some uh, historians say that this text was written at this point, but you'll equally find other historians who will say, no, 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 but I don't think this is dated correctly. This actually should be dated somewhere else. So there's a lot of conflicting opinion in all of this. And my point there is not so much the date. My point there is the philosophy. I get that. I just thought our plurality went way long. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 absolutely. It's just a text. I mean, depending on who wants to take what text. And that's the great thing, right? I mean, sure, I have taken one sort of marker point, right? And you're free to take whichever marker point. Of course, our plurality goes back much further. So we can yeah, take whatever awesome. marker points we want. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for this session too. Thank you, Chitra. So, uh, Again, I'll conclude now this session by saying that the book is being Hindu. It is available as an ebook as well as in bookstores. The, uh, you can follow and you can ask if more questions to Hindal on Twitter, social media. Uh, his Twitter handle is Hindal Saint Gupta, and we will put up a, a recording of this of today's webinar on YouTube or some other place, and also publish the links. Uh, thank you all for attending, and Hindal, a big, big thank you again from all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.